Like many of you, we just love Christmas at our house. Uh, Because we have a large family, it's noisy, it's really chaotic, and it's a whole lot of fun. Last Christmas, my wife Rhonda bought slingshots for all our adult sons and son-in-laws. And after we had opened our Christmas gifts, she brought out two large bags of those mini marshmallows. And we had our first family Christmas war. We were just killing each other, slaughtering each other. By the way, those things hurt. And and it was just a blast. Now, I'm not saying it was especially spiritual. I'm not saying it had anything to do with the birth of Jesus. But boy, was it fun. And that's what Christmas is, right? Uh, You do it in your ways, we all do it in abundant different ways, but there's something about Christmas that is just so much fun. Now having said that, I am also, also mindful that while Christmas is a wonderful time of year, it can also be a very difficult one. Some of you are here today and you're overflowing with joy. But some of you are struggling with sadness. There's been a loss this year. Uh, There's some difficulty in the winds ahead. And you're a little off-center and uh, you're discouraged. And so at Christmas we have this moment of wonderful joy and, and often overwhelming sadness because Christmas has a way of intensifying pain. Rhonda and I have often talked about what that first Christmas was like following the death of our first spouses due to cancer. And we've talked about how it was like a a, a cloud that descended on our homes, a dark cloud that was attempting uh, to suck uh, the energy and the joy out of the holidays, out of Christmas. We talk about our hope tanks and each and every one of us have a hope tank we talk about our hope tanks at at that point in our lives being near empty and that's the way some of you are today so by God's grace according to the power of the Holy Spirit I want to help you this morning begin to restore your hope tank to, to recenter To root your hope and joy and peace in something that transcends our circumstances. So as an act of reverence, would you stand with me as I read from Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. This is how the birth of the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph was her husband, Joseph her husband was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, 
Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet, the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. You may be seated. This is a fantastic passage. Here we meet Joseph. And what I want to do is I want to look at uh, what Christmas hope is here, why it's necessary, and what we learn from Joseph about how we can experience it. So let's begin with this Christmas hope. And let's wrestle with this question. What is this hope that enables us to transcend pain, difficulty, adversity? I want to describe it in a couple ways. First of all, it's confidence that God exists. This Christmas hope is confidence that God is a miracle-working God. Now, everybody in Chicago knows this because the Bears are in the playoffs. I mean, it's sort of like, dull. duh, of course. So it's confidence that God exists. It's confidence that it's a, God is a miracle-working God. And, and ultimately, it's confidence that God, at Christmas, God sent Jesus to redeem us, to rescue us, and to restore us. It's the one fairy tale that's become true, that is true. Now hope, hope in our passage, the kind of hope that gets us through life's, life's deepest waters, stands on two legs here. And by that I mean there's two miracles. The first is the virgin birth, the second is the incarnation of Jesus. The one is the means, the other is the end. Uh, together, these two miracles tell us that God is infinite in his, powerful, in his power. He is the infinitely most powerful king. And second, they tell us that God is infinite in his mercy. He's more merciful than any parent. So let's start with the virgin birth. The virgin birth is mentioned twice here in these first couple of verses. It's mentioned once in verse 18. We see it again in verse 20. In verse 20, we read that what is conceived, what is conceived in her, what is conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. That's a reference to the virgin birth. What is the virgin birth? Is Jesus Christ miraculously conceived in the womb of a woman by the Holy Spirit without any seed from man, without any male seed. 
That's the virgin birth. The incarnation is the result. Here, the incarnation, verse 21, 23, is described as the birth of the Son. And what is the incarnation? Well, the incarnation of Jesus Christ is Jesus, who was always and always will be fully God, becoming fully human. Big enough to sustain, to hold the entire universe. Human enough to hunger and thirst and to weep. Fully God, fully human. Truth is stranger than fiction. And we especially see this, interestingly enough, at Christmas. Now, when Eastern religions come to these miracles, they say they're unnecessary. And because they're unnecessary, they didn't happen. And, and the reason they say the virgin birth and the incarnation of Jesus Christ are unnecessary is because they affirm that God is already among us. God is already in all of us. God is in everything. Now, Western religions like Islam come to this and say these two miracles are impossible because God is so transcendent, God is so big, that God could never become a baby. Wouldn't happen. But Christianity says these are the grand miracles of the Bible. And actually the highest forms of love. On Christmas, Christianity asserts, God punched a hole in the world. And the ideal became real. The infinite became finite. The metaphysical, physical. The unapproachable, approachable. The undescribable, describable. The unimaginable became imaginable. Now you, uh, friends, and I say this in love, you can tether your hope to anything you want. But permanent, unshakable hope was born at Christmas. And his name is Jesus. Jesus. Now, let me apply this to pain. To difficulty. If you're an atheist, you have a big problem, an enormous problem with suffering. Because you say God does not exist. And yet you're, you're often upset about suffering, loss, adversity, difficulty, setback. But if God doesn't exist, why does it matter? Why are you upset? Why do you even call things tragic? Because if God doesn't exist, everything is meaningless. Now let me take this a step further. If you're a theist, and by a theist I mean if you believe there is a personal God, you also have a really big problem with suffering. Because if God is there, then why doesn't God put an end to suffering? But if you're a Christian, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you still have some problems. Your problems are far less than either the atheist or the theist. Because you know that Jesus Christ hates suffering so much that he chose to become a meshed 
in it. Born into it. Now, that doesn't mean you have all the answers. It doesn't mean you know why suffering and evil happen, why these things take place. I'm not talking about you have glib, short, um, uh, superficially pious answers. But what it does mean, but, but what you do know is what it doesn't mean. Christmas reveals that God cares. And so you know suffering doesn't mean God doesn't care. I mean, another way to say it is that Jesus Christ came into the world to destroy sin and suffering, so sin and suffering don't destroy us. And our God, I mean, the God of Christianity is the only God who was wounded who has wounds, who has scars. That's how much he cares about you. You know your suffering doesn't mean God doesn't care because he sent Jesus. This is how much he cares about you. And when you understand that, when you know that, when you grasp that, when you move that into the depths of your soul, knowing that regardless of what you're going through creates an unshakable hope of peace. And so that's the hope. And let me move from a description of that, a brief description of that, uh, to the why here. Why the virgin birth? Why the incarnation? Why are they necessary? Why didn't Jesus show up at the United Center at halftime during a game with an international television audience and say, I'm here, believe? There are two answers according to our passage. The first, according to verse 21, is that Jesus came to save his people, people that believe from their sins. He came to save his people from their sin. Not from their economic, social, political problems, as great as they are, but from the sinfulness of their hearts. And this is a reference to Jesus Christ's death on the cross. Jesus Christ had to become a human in order to make death possible. And he had to become, or he had to be God, I should say, in order for that death to be acceptable. Jesus Christ died to satisfy the righteous demands of a holy God. And Jesus Christ died that we might be rescued from our sins in order to satisfy the will of a loving God. So the righteousness of God and the love of God, the holiness of God and the mercy of God, the majesty of God and the compassion of God kiss at the cross. And it's the virgin birth and the incarnation that make that possible. In the Old Testament book of Genesis, right at the beginning, in the moments of creation, we are told the Spirit hovers above the water. A little later, the Spirit gives life to the first man, Adam. But here in Matthew chapter 1, 
we are told it's the Spirit, the same Spirit that gives life to the Messiah, to Jesus. In Genesis, God promises a seed from a woman that would crush the head of Satan. Here in Matthew chapter 1, God gives birth to that seed via the Holy Spirit conceiving in Mary. And it's from this woman. Prophesied all the way back in Genesis. In Genesis, Adam is born and yet succumbs to sin. Here in Matthew, the second Adam is born in order to save his people from their sin. So do you see what's going on in the book of Genesis God is creating? Here in Matthew chapter 1, in, in this account, God is recreating, God is restoring, God is redeeming. All through the twin miracles of the virgin birth and the incarnation. And together, they become the divine on-ramp to salvation. But here's the astonishing thing. The result of these two miracles is that Jesus Christ becomes breakable. Human. Killable. Now some of you are broken today because of what you have done in the past. Others are broken because of what the world has done to you, friends, family. Jesus was broken on the cross so that regardless of what you've done, regardless of what's been done to you, he welcomes you home the moment you believe, the moment you receive Christ, the moment you say yes to Christ. Jesus left his home to give you a home. Jesus was torn so that you might be mended. Jesus became poor that you might become rich. Jesus became empty that you might become full. He died that you might have life. And that's all set into motion at Christmas. So regardless of what you're going through, regardless of how horrible uh, your habits might be, how deep your anger um, uh, how deep your anxiety. Christmas means Jesus became breakable to redeem you, to restore you. No one, no one loves you like Jesus. I mean, think of what Jesus does through the likes of a very ordinary man by the name of Joseph. The spirit in you, the moment you believe, means that God has a rich, fabulous, eternal plan for your life. Not easy, but eternally significant. Now let me go on. That's the first reason. Uh, why is this all necessary? Why are these miracles necessary? Because Jesus came to save us. The second reason uh, given in our passage is because Jesus came to be with us. 
Uh, this we see in verse 23. This is the Isaiah 7:14 prophecy. It's a 700-year-old uh, prophecy uh, that the virgin will be give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel because it means God will be with us. Now, what does it mean for God to be with us? It certainly means that Jesus came to live among us, to die for us, uh, to rescue us. But it also means that the moment we believe, Jesus is with us to grow us, to indwell us, to cleanse us, to change us, to heal us, uh, to uh, comfort us. A little later in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a a, 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 a short story to illustrate this. And let me put this in the context of loneliness. Let me talk about loneliness here. Because loneliness, while it can't always be fixed, it can be transcended. And when I'm talking about loneliness, I'm not necessarily just talking about people who are by themselves, but you can be surrounded by all sorts of people and be incredibly lonely on the inside. So Jesus tells this parable, and the parable is about a man who sees a barren rocky field and discovers that buried in this field is a fabulous, priceless treasure and he goes and sells everything he has to buy that treasure. That would be a wonderful thing in the state of Illinois because you wouldn't have property taxes anymore. He sells everything he has because he recognizes how valuable the, this treasure is. Jesus is that treasure. His saving, loving presence in our lives is that treasure his comfort the hope the guidance he he gives us now yes you will have rocks there will be barrenness there will be uh, loneliness but to the extent you live in light of the treasure that you possess in Jesus Christ the treasure of infinite worth the pearl of great price you will transcend your loneliness in other words, what Christmas means is that Jesus Christ came to stand with you, to live in you, to stand beside you, in front of you, behind you, underneath you, to carry you. God with us, Emmanuel. Jesus won't necessarily deliver you from your loneliness. I don't want to overpromise, but he will deliver you through it. And so the question you have to ask yourself, okay, what is my priceless treasure? Is Jesus really my priceless treasure? Or is it my circumstances? And to the extent you see Jesus as your treasure, man, your life is going to change. And you can be lonely, I mean terribly lonely. You can be going through this, you can be going through that. But you have a treasure and his name is Jesus and he was born at Christmas. Now we come to Joseph, and I want to say a couple things about Joseph, and, and then we'll be done. What I appreciate about what the Spirit is giving us in this Joseph story is that Joseph shows us, and we'll see this in Mary uh, tomorrow during our Christmas Eve services, Joseph shows us how we can experience this Christmas hope. How we can experience Jesus right now, 
at the end of 2018. So let's read the last couple verses again, verses 24 and 25. When Joseph woke up, he did, that's key, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Note, everything the angel asked Joseph to do, he does. He takes Mary as his wife, he doesn't consummate the marriage, and he gave the son the name Jesus. Everything the angel asked Joseph to do, he does. Proving the genuineness of Joseph's faith. The thoroughness of his faith, because Joseph isn't picky and choosy in terms of doing what the angel says. Joseph doesn't say, oh yeah, I'll marry her, but I'm going to have this uh, sex life apart from her. I'm going to do what I want with my sexuality. Or Joseph doesn't say, yeah, I'll give him the name Jesus, but I'm not giving God any of my resources. Joseph's obedience wasn't selective. It, it, it was complete. Now, it wasn't perfect, uh, but it was thorough, and it was progressive, and he, he grew in this. And I, I marvel at every single thing the angel said, Joseph did. And I think, Rob, you fall so short. There are so many things God asks us to do, God invites us to do. And our obedience, frankly, in 2018 is selective. We pick and choose. Uh, six chapters later, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus concludes this, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We just saw this a couple of weeks ago, and he tells this short little story about two houses that look alike on the outside. One's built on the rock, the other's built on the sand. The rock is Jesus, the sand is everything else. And he uses them as a metaphor talking about the people's response to him. Both the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand hear the words of Jesus, but the difference is the wise man who builds his house on the rock puts Jesus' words into practice. And the other doesn't. And it becomes a foundation. It becomes a life of sand. Uh, so let me ask you a question. In light of these candles, in light of Christmas, what is it that you want? What is it that you want for your life? What is it that you want from life? Because you are what you want. And what you want determines your habits. And your habits determine what you want. So, for example, man, you want to play the piano, you want to develop a, a good golf swing, you're going to develop habits to get you down the road towards playing the piano and developing that golf swing. But if you tell me you believe in Jesus Christ and you haven't developed any habits that will move you closer, get you down the road towards knowing Jesus Christ through, through prayer and community, life groups, through 
studying uh, God's word, uh, through having people that hold you accountable, that love you. If, if there aren't any habits in your life that are moving you in that direction, then let me tell you what's going on. What's going on is you think you want to follow Jesus, but you don't. You aren't. Because you want something else. You are what you want, and what you want determines your habits. What in the world is it that you want today? To experience the Christ of Christmas, we've got to act decisively just like Joseph did. The second thing we see here, the second key to hope, if you will, or step, is that uh, you courageously accept adversity. And, and this is implied in verses 24 and 25. You know what the Christmas story told through the experience of Joseph is? It is a story of adoption. It's the Thompson family right here. It's, it's many of you. This is, this is, I think, one of the world's greatest stories of adoption. Very difficult, very costly, very problematic adoption. Joseph and Mary weren't married. They were engaged. And in first century Israel, this engagement period was called a betrothal period. And it was one year intensive where the relationship was so binding in verse 19, even though they aren't married, Joseph is referred to as Mary's husband. And divorce is the only way out. So Joseph's thinking about, do I divorce her quietly? And Mary is pregnant. Small town Israel. People are going to know either they had premarital sex or Mary was unfaithful, and that would be scandalous in that day. And Joseph knows this. Joseph is aware that they will be facing rejection. Uh, they will be facing misunderstanding. So Joseph has a choice. Do I distance myself from Mary in order to preserve my tidy life? Or do I marry her? Do I adopt him? And do I step into the consequences of misunderstanding and scorn and disgrace? Now at another level, what's so very fascinating is what is at stake is that Joseph is legally and fully a descendant of David. So the moment he adopts Jesus as his son, Jesus legally and fully also becomes the son of David, and Jesus is enabled to ascend the throne and reign from the throne of David forever. Now Joseph didn't know all of that, but he did know the angel was asking him to do something incredibly hard. Scandalous. I mean, would you want everybody around you to reject you? And yet Joseph said yes, knowing the, knowing the cost. Uh, knowing the difficulty. How about you? Do you want a tidy life? Or an obedient life? A comfortable life? Or whatever life Jesus may be calling you into to follow him. 
You see, to experience hope, to experience Christmas, we act decisively, uh, we accept adversity, and then finally, we surrender control. This is verse 21. Look at verse 21. And you say, how in the world do we see that here? Well, what we see going on is the angel preempts Joseph's authority to name the baby. He says, Joseph, God has chosen the name. His name is going to be Jesus. And you, frankly, don't have any right in the matter. The angel preempts the right of every Israeli father to name his child. Naming in that culture was the father's right as the head of the household, the superior, the one who was in control of the family, responsible for the family. But what the angel is saying when he gives Joseph the name is that Jesus isn't coming as your inferior, Joseph. Jesus is coming as your superior. And you can't name him, but you must surrender control to him. Fascinating. Have you? Have you surrendered control to Jesus Christ? This is so hard for us in our culture. Yeah, because we're all control freaks. We want to control this. We want to control that. Uh, uh, the angel takes that away. Uh, Joseph, you're not in control. The, one of the most important things a father ever does, you don't get to do. You surrender control. He's the superior. You're the inferior. Do you understand that functionally? Do you know this, Jesus? Is he uh, the root and the foundation uh, uh, of your hope? If you've never done so, come to him. Receive him as Savior and Lord. And as you move forward in life, cling to him. Act decisively for him. Accept adversity under him. Surrender control to him. And watch, watch what he's going to do. I, I know. Because I've seen what he has done in my life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for the wonder of your love. Thank you for this Christmas season where we can worship the one who has come to find us. Open our eyes, speak to us, God. And now as we worship, show us, show us this Christ, the King. Amen.